0: After the big win in Virginia on Tuesday, you may have thought the week couldn't get any better. But you would be wrong, as the last few days have seen the collapse of not one, not two, but four major fake news narratives pushed by the left over the past few years, beginning
1: with good old Dr. Fauci. Gain of function is a very nebulous term. We have spent not us but outside bodies a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function okay. from the NIH well, website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time but let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear. EcoHealth them- Alliance took the now, virus, well, SHC014, I, I and combined it with WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells. You're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework, And guidelines. So, what you're doing is defining away gain of function.
0: You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. No, no, Senator Paul, that's not gain of function research. That is that is uh, function-gaining inquiry. They're very, very different, okay? And basically, gain-of-function research is whatever I don't do, okay? That's, and that would be bad, okay? But, uh, but function-increasing uh, uh, line of questioning, that, uh, that's what I did, and that's totally fine. Rand Paul's got Fauci dead to rights, so Dr. Fauci retreats to the oldest left-wing trick in the book. He tries to redefine the words to redefine the reality. And unfortunately for the exalted doctor, the strategy does not seem to be working. Meanwhile, the stories we've been told about Kyle Rittenhouse and the BLM riots, the Steele dossier and Russiagate, and critical race theory all are collapsing this week too. Because in the long run, no matter how well crafted the lie, the truth will prevail, at least in the end. I'm Michael Knowles, this is the Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from BLD, who says, I've died on a thousand hills a thousand times, and yet I live. This is so true. When the libs tell us, what, you want to die on this hill? Hey, you know, whenever you oppose the libs, they say, what, you're going to, are you really, this is the hill you're going to die on? First of all, no, I have no intention of dying on any hills. But uh, yes, I am going to take a stand on on a hill or two, because if I don't, I'm going to run out of hills to fight on. And when you're out there standing strong and fighting firm, it's important to look good. It's important to dress well, which is why I would really recommend you check out Mizzen and Maine. I love Mizen and Maine. I love Mizzen and Maine primarily because it makes me look really, really cool. Their shirts, their, their Oxford shirts, their polo shirts make me look really, really cool and sleek and hip and, and cool. But there's another layer here, which is They combine the comfort and flexibility of your favorite athletic wear with the fit and style of a custom dress shirt. Lightweight, breathable, moisture wicking. I am of Italian extraction. We perspire a little bit, okay? This is not great with some other dress shirts and some other polos. With mizzen and main, not a problem at all. I don't need to worry about that kind of thing. The dress shirts are also machine washable, so you can skip the trips to the dry cleaner. Think of all the time, think of all the money you'll save. They've got 30,000 five star reviews you know they make a great product. I, I love them. I love them. Whether you're updating your wardrobe to head back to the office or just looking for a new fall flannel, we've got really good news. Right now, if you go to MizzenandMain.com, use promo code Knowles, you'll get $35 off any regular price order of $125 bucks or more. $35 off when you go to M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Use promo code Knowles. Fauci is embarrassing himself at this point. Fauci, I always would at least give him credit for being a slick politician who was able to pull a fast one and move the goalposts and people either did not notice or they let him get away with it. But this is really embarrassing. He perjured himself months ago to Rand Paul and and said that we are not funding gain of function research. We're certainly not funding it in Wuhan, but we're not funding it at all. And then it turns out they were funding it and they were funding it in Wuhan. And so now Dr. Fauci is deleting the gain of function definition from the NIH website and he's trying to, to weasel his way out of it. And it's pathetic. It's just falling apart. And I don't think people buy that anymore. But beyond Fauci, beyond coronavirus, look at the case, look at the trial that's going on this week, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse you remember Kyle Rittenhouse, during the BLM riots, as the left was torching the country and killing people and setting things on fire, and we were told it was all mostly peaceful. There was a young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was armed. He was protecting himself, but he was he was going just trying to clean up the neighborhood, trying to help the shop he was working at. And some left-wing terrorists were coming after him. And Kyle Rittenhouse shot them, quite apparently in self-defense. So now, because Kyle Rittenhouse is a a right-winger and the people who were chasing him and threatening him were left-wingers, the left is trying to portray him as a murderer. They're trying to throw him away for a long time. Uh, So the trial's underway and it's really not going well for the prosecution because regardless of what the media told us, regardless of the narrative that they were spinning, even the witnesses that the prosecution is calling are... Ultimately, defending Rittenhouse.
1: I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head. You never met him before. You don't. I'm, know. I've never even I've never exchanged words with him. If that's what your question is. So your interpretation of what he was trying to do, or what he was intending to do, or anything along those lines, is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um. Well, he said "f you," and then he reached for the weapon.
0: <laughs> Rosenbaum is one of these guys that Rittenhouse killed and uh, in apparently in self-defense. He goes, so you have no idea. You don't know. Maybe he maybe he was reaching for his weapon to give it to Kyle Rittenhouse as an early birthday present. Maybe when he said F you, maybe that was just his love language. Maybe that was just his, How do you have no idea. You can't get in the mind of another person. Uh, yeah, well, he screamed F you and reached for his weapon. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm no Sherlock Holmes here, but something tells me he wasn't trying to wish me a happy birthday. Another witness, the prosecution grilling this witness, the facts really not looking good for the left.
1: I stepped in and told everybody, chill
0: out, calm down, stop doing that. I turned and had an exchange with one of the protesters. And I kind of explained to that protester, hey, you know, I get it, get what you're trying to do, but, like, not this.
1: And when I turned around, Rosenbaum was right there in front of my face, yelling and screaming, and I would said, dude, back up. Just chill. I don't know what your problem is. And he goes, you know what?
0: If I catch any of you guys alone tonight, I'm going to kill you.
1: And he said that to you? Correct. Did he say that to the defendant as well?
0: The defendant was there, so yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, look, I think from the facts that we know, it's been clear from the earliest stages of this that Kyle Rittenhouse was acting in self-defense. He certainly should not be convicted of any crime. And this, this is basically a witch hunt. Uh, but if the state is going to prosecute this, I think they need a better lawyer. <laughs> I mean, this guy, or maybe it's just the case that all the facts are on the side of the right here, and they're on the side of Kyle Rittenhouse, and and they're against the media and the leftists and the government, but I repeat myself. The guy said to their faces, if I catch you alone tonight, I'm going to kill you. Is there any clearer justification for acting in self-defense? Probably not. The narrative, the left-wing narrative can last for a very long time, I don't mean to downplay it, but eventually, eventually, the truth is going to peek out. Okay. It's going to sneak out there. We're seeing this not just with Rittenhouse, but with the Russia hoax. So the, there was a big development in the Russia hoax yesterday, which is why you're probably not hearing about it very much in the media is because they want to cover it up. Igor Danchenko was just arrested, indicted by John Durham, who was leading the investigation of the origins of the Russia hoax and arrested Igor Danchenko. Who is Igor Danchenko? He was the subsource. He was one of the main sources for the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was the fake dossier compiled by British spook Christopher Steele that was used as the excuse to let the Obama administration spy on the Trump campaign. And it's what set the stage for the Trump impeachment, and it's what set the stage for undermining th- the entire Trump administration, practically. Got the, it got the FISA warrant to use against Carter Page, which was just a way of bugging the Trump campaign. Das, who, who funded the dossier? Hillary Clinton funded the dossier. The DNC. And this guy, Igor Danchenko, just got just got arrested. Why? he got arrested for misleading the FBI about his relationship with a major Democrat operative who was working for Hillary Clinton. He also fabricated the details of a phone conversation with someone who he said had a, a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation, knew about a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and Russia. Meaning he lied to the FBI about the whole thing, which was a hoax it was a setup, it was an op, and it's unclear exactly how much of it was set up by the, the Obama administration and exactly how much of it was set up by the DNC and Hillary Clinton. There's very possibly some combination of the two, but this was a hoax and a setup. And even now, years and years later, after Trump is out of office, at least for now, the truth is coming out. Okay. And for years you remember for years and years, it's Mueller time. Trump, he's a Putin stooge. He's a traitor. You're any, all of you who support him are, are insurrectionist traitors selling out your country to Vladimir Putin. It was all a complete, not just a lie. It was a complete op. It was a political operation by the very Democrats who were pushing it. they got away with it for now. By the way, they got, Trump's out of office, right? So they did, they did get away with it. It's, it's, A slight consolation that at least maybe someone will go to jail, maybe. But that politically speaking, they got away with it. People need to be fired over this sort of stuff. And when people get fired, you need to replace them. And when you need to replace them, I would recommend ZipRecruiter. When you have a job opening, you want the best candidates, the most important investment that your company is going to make. Okay. You want the ideal candidate. Well, what if you could pick your ideal candidate before they even apply? That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. It gives you, the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites from top candidates. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, How does Invite to Apply work? Well, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. It's just so high tech, so cool, so easy, and it will really help you make sure that when you're looking at the best investments, the most important ones you can make in your company, you're making the right choice. See for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com/Noles, N-O-L-E-S. That's ZipRecruiter.com/Noles to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You got hoaxes falling apart from Dr. Fauci, from the BLM people over Kyle Rittenhouse, from the Russia hoax people over the Steele dossier, but there's a hoax going on right now. Okay, there's a there's an, a hoax that the left is trying to perpetrate right now. They are trying to convince everyone that critical race theory is not being taught in schools. What you're what you are being told right now is that critical race the, well, for a while they were telling you critical race theory is awesome and we need to have it in every school, but then they realized that wasn't a good strategy, so they said no, critical race theory. Uh-uh. It's, it's only being taught in Harvard Law School. You idiots, you rubes, you probably haven't even read Kimberlake Crenshaw. No, critical race theory is not being taught in schools and the Republicans are lying to you about it and they're doing it because they're racists and they don't want to teach about slavery or what, whatever, right? So an administrator at the largest school district in Indiana has just released a video. It's a really terrific, concise description of how the left is, in fact, teaching critical race theory in
1: schools. I'm the science coach and admin in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards, per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. We tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men, and that everything Western civilization built is racist. Capitalism as a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points, verbatim, in critical race theory, the writings that formed the movement. This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the color students. That's Richard Delgado straight out of CRT and introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory fleshed out in public schools in 1995. When schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing, go away and look into our affairs no further. No, no but it's not critical race theory. It's um,
0: It's inquisitive ethnicity idea. Yeah, no, we're, so we're not, we're teaching, we're not teaching critical race theory. We're teaching all the tenets of critical race theory, like that we need to abolish whiteness and that America's hopelessly, uh, irredeemably bigoted and racist because of white supremacy. And this pervades even the economic system, which is hopelessly unjust, which is why we need to, to end free enterprise and, and uh, enact some form of socialism. And it's why we need to radically upend our system of government. So yeah, it's all the critical race theory stuff, but it's not but that, it's not called, we don't call it critical race theory anymore. What they're doing, it's the same thing uh, Dr. Fauci tried to do to Rand Paul. They're just trying to redefine reality by redefining all the words. It's, it's a retreat into, to use the technical term, nominalism. To say, oh, what does that name even mean? Oh, who, what, what really is critical race theory? Uh, it's the thing you're teaching. That's what, crit- <laughs> that's what critical race theory is. So what's the answer to all of this? You're seeing an answer right now in Texas, and it's going to make some of the squishes a little uncomfortable, but it's the right answer nonetheless. Do you know? Let me see. I think I have an article somewhere here. Yes. So this is how NPR is, is portraying this in Texas. Headline, a Texas lawmaker is targeting 850 books that he says could make students feel uneasy. Oh, you know what he, I bet he's a book banner, a book burner who is just trying to protect the feelings of the white evil people and he's ignoring the truth and we can't ban books and we, how dare you? It's not exactly what's going on here, but this is, this is really good stuff. The, uh, the lawmaker's name is Matt Krause. Uh, Matt Krause has a list of books that ought to be, that he believes ought to be investigated and potentially removed from curricula at schools because they're filling students' heads with a bunch of crap. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is now getting behind this movement. What is really going on here? Is this, is this banning books? Is this regressive sort of, well, I guess in a way it is kind of banning books, okay? And I know that on the right in recent years, we've adopted this attitude that it's, we should never ban books. We should, ne- we should just have all the books. They should, we should have, if it includes hardcore porn in schools, we should just have all the books, right? But uh, no, I don't think we should. I really don't think we should. First of all, um, every political community has limits, even on books. Some people, every political com- community throughout history has at some point burned books, okay? Not even just ban them, but burn them. And some of the people who have burned books have been perfectly wise and right to do so. <laughs> do you know who, uh, Plato would be an example of someone who burned books. He he advocated burning the books of one of his philosophical rivals. Um, The apostles, in in the acts of the apostles, in the Bible, you see burning books, burning sorcery books when the Christians come in and evangelize. This is portrayed, and it's portrayed as a very good thing. I don't particularly care for Martin Luther. Martin Luther, you know what he did? He burned books. So it's not just the old, terrible, back-minded Catholics. The Protestants have burned books. The pagans have burned books. The liberals burn and ban books. we we currently ban books in school, at least one book. And and it's been pushed by the liberty. What is the one book that we ban in schools right now? It's an obvious answer, but we don't think about it. The Bible. That's the book. That's the one book you can't be taught in schools because of a ridiculous Supreme Court decision pushed by the left. So I hope the left spares me They're pearl clutching over the idea that we're going to kick certain books out of the curriculum. Yes, we are going to kick Ibram Kendi's idiotic nonsense out of the curriculum if we can. Yes, we are going to kick Robin DiAngelo's race hustling idiocy out of the classroom. Okay, frankly, I think we ought to put the Bible back in the classroom. The Bible, the most important book ever written, the the font of all wisdom, all of all of Western thought and literature. That we're not allowed to teach but the idiotic ravings of Ta-Nehisi Coates, that we have to teach. That would be an affront to liberal education if we got rid. Give me a break. It's so disingenuous. Okay. There's only so many weeks in the semester. There's only so many books that you can read. Okay. And so the purpose of education to make us free is uh, re- requires that we read the best books, the books that are best going to help us understand the world, cultivate uh, the, our, our deepest resources and uh, bring our base passions into accord with our rational will, okay? And so you're, you're going to be able to do that by reading the classics, by reading serious works, and you're, not go- you're actually going to undermine that by reading porn and by filling your head with lies and propaganda like Howard Zinn, like Robin DiAngelo, like Ibram Kennedy. And so those books should be kicked out of the curriculum. There is nothing hypocritical. There is nothing dangerous. There's nothing illiberal even about that the left has been doing it for a very long time. There are plenty of reasons to circumscribe books. And it's it's about, it's about long past time that conservatives started taking a stand in this arena as well. Now, there is some confusion on this because the, the right has adopted a lot of the language of the left. And I'm afraid that even Winsome Sears, the newly elected lieutenant governor of Virginia, is doing this a little bit as well. I really like what little I know about Wins, Winsome Sears. She is, she's really having a moment right now on the internet because her social media team is, is pretty strong. So they're, they're calling her based and they're doing meme contests and they're sending photos of her just holding like a giant gun. And she just seems great. Uh, However, she said something that is not true. And so though I like her a lot, this is coming from a place of love. It's mostly directed at her speech writers and her social media director. She tweeted out, quote, let's teach our children how to think, not what to think. And this is a line that countless right-wingers have used in recent years, and it's a nonsensical phrase. It doesn't mean anything. I know people think it means something, but it doesn't, because it is not possible to teach someone how to think without also teaching someone what to think. It is not possible to teach someone how to think about English history without teaching them that the Battle of Hastings took place in 1066. You need to teach them that, and if if the student says it was 1065, then you got to punish them. You got to mark them wrong. You got to give them a low grade. You have to teach them what to think in order to to know how to think about certain. If, If you don't teach someone that two plus two equals four, you cannot teach them how to think about mathematics. This is true in ethics and morality too. If you don't teach someone that it is wrong to murder, you can't teach someone how to think about morality. The, the very, very hippy-dippy left-wing notion that we should just teach people to come to their own conclusions about every single thing, no matter what the answer is, is preposterous. Well, I taught my student how to think, and now he thinks that it's good to commit murder. But it's, he came to the decision. He did it himself. No, he got it wrong. He, he, he learned how to think the wrong way because <laughs> he learned the things he learned what to think were, were not true. Okay, and we need to get a little tougher about that. I, and it, we're not going to sound really liberal and hippy dippy and nice and open-minded and everything. We're going to, we're going to sound in a way a little bit closed-minded. But you need to, sometimes you need to be a little closed-minded. Skepticism has utility only when it leads to conviction. All right, we got to put limits on our gas prices these days too. It's going through the roof, which is why you got to check out Get Upside. Christmas has come early for you you are welcome. It is my pleasure to bring to you the timeliest advertiser maybe that we've ever had, GetUpside. Right now, my listeners are making up to 25 cents on every single gallon of gas, every single time they fill up. Download the the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That is up to 50 cents cash back do not pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Knowles, KNWLES, to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 per month cash back. There's no catch. The cash gets added right to your bank account or to PayPal or to an e-gift card for Amazon or wherever, wherever you want. Uh, other than that, it's so easy Just download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-A-W-L-E-S to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Code Knowles. Just a little cherry on top of the Sunday of this wonderful week. There was a race in New Jersey for a state rep race, right? And the state rep race, no one was really paying attention to it because it had the top Democrat lawmaker in New Jersey, a guy by the name of Steve Sweeney. And so he was super powerful. He was that no one was going to really challenge him. And so there was just this guy, this Republican truck driver named Edward Durr. He spent $153 on his campaign, quite a lot of it on donuts. It's not a joke. And so it was going to be a throwaway, whatever, you know, we'll get him next time. And then the truck driver won. (laughs) The top Democrat went down. And this guy, Edward Durr, Who spent $153 on his campaign? He won. Now, look, I don't, I don't know anything about Edward Durr. I, I I hope he's a good candidate. I love that he beat the Democrat. I hope he, he is a good politician. I hope he learns to become a good politician. And he's got. I, I just, I really don't know. Nobody really knows a lot about him right now. But I love the victory, and I love the victory because what it shows is. People are really sick of this ruling class. Okay? And they just they want anything but this ruling class. And it shows that we can, at least sometimes, boot this ruling class out of power. The vote for Edward Durr, he well, look he might be the greatest candidate in the world, but the fact that you've got such a low-funded, sort of unknown candidate comes in and beats the top Democrat that's probably more of a protest vote. It's a protest vote against something. And even in, in New Jersey, even in blue, New Jersey, that's a great sign. Uh, Ron DeSantis is showing this in Florida. Ron DeSantis, he, you know, he, he's a very talented politician and he's very good at using applause lines. And, but take a listen to this applause line that he just used at an event down in Florida. This, uh, this shows you a little bit of a shift in the focus for the, the Republicans this year and going into 2022 and 2024.
1: Sometimes people ask me, "Oh man, how come Florida 84,000 jobs? The rest of the country, you know, what what could be done to help the rest of the country?" And I say, "Well, you know, the saying that I always think back, and it's a
0: little bit of a flourish on how it's been used previously. Uh, but a recession is when your neighbor loses
1: his job. A depression is when you lose yours. A recovery is when Dr. Fauci loses his."
0: Yeah, now this is an old formulation, you know, a recession is this, a recovery is this, and a, 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 depression, a recession is this, a depression is this, and recovery is this. Ronald Reagan made great use of it many decades ago talking about Jimmy Carter.
1: A recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. And recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his.
0: Great line. I've used the line myself. but, But notice the shift here. In the 80s, it's Ronald Reagan using the line against the elected president, Jimmy Carter. Today, we're using the line against some bureaucrat, Dr. Fauci. In the 80s, the chief political opponent was the Democrat Party. Today, the chief political opponent is the blob. It's the ruling class, the deep state, the permanent government, call it whatever you want. It seems like a subtle shift. That's a major shift. It shows you where the power has moved in the country. And what people are rebelling against right now is not Joe Biden. If Ron DeSantis had used that line against Joe Biden, it would have probably fallen flat. Yeah, we don't like Biden. We joke about him. Let's go, Brandon. Ha, ha, ha. But no one thinks the guy is with it. No one thinks the guy is really pulling the strings. Someone like Fauci, though, he's been around for, what, seven presidents now? Highest paid employee in the federal government. He's the problem. It's a a regime issue, not so much a partisan issue. Speaking of this ruling class, there was one of the creepiest corporate presentations I've ever seen in my life. Just came out from Microsoft. Listen to how these software spokesmen begin their presentation.
1: Hello, and welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day ahead and lots in store for you. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Samamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip, and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial. A people that are still here, continuing to honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. My name is Allison Wines. I'm a Senior Program Manager in our Developer Tools division. I'm an Asian and white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. And I'm Seth Juarez, Program Manager in the AI Platform Group. I'm a tall Hispanic male wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants, Today, we kick off two days of learning more about the latest solutions, exploring how these key innovations can empower you to do great things and connecting with peers from around the world.
0: Huh? What? What was that? First, okay, let's take it backwards from the end to the beginning. They say, I'm an Asian lady, and I'm a sort of white guy. And I, why do I care? Why do I care about your race? And you're talking about the clothing you're wearing. Oh, it's for... I think it's for blind people. I think they're doing this for blind people because identity politics doesn't work for blind people because they can't see and they genuinely don't care. They literally don't see color, but that doesn't work for the left because the left needs to make every single thing about race and these kind of physical attributes of identity. And so they've actually got to tell you, be like, hey, 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 I'm a black guy. Treat me differently. Hey, I know you can't see me and you don't care, but I am you should treat me differently based on my race. Okay. And they open up, they say, we're here on the land of the Shumatami, Muscatusi people. And, they, and it goes on this whole list. Who cares? When I go to the Bronx, I do not often hear, you know, the Puerto Rican guy in the Bronx say, hi, I'm a Puerto Rican guy wearing, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. And I am acknowledging that I'm standing on land that was once inherited by black guys. And before that by Sicilian guys. And before that by the Irish and before that, who care? What do I care? You're in America. You're standing on you're standing on the Microsoft campus, <laughs> land now run by Microsoft. But it's this. It has to be this constant preening sort of guilt. By the way, I don't think this little acknowledgement makes the Muscatuzi feel any better that they lost their land hundreds of years ago. Let's move on, buddy. This is this is world. This is how this is how the world works. It's so the reason I even bring it up is, is to show though this is not about this is not about the government, big government. You know, one of the big. Unfortunate events that came after the the big Virginia win is that the establishment Republicans tried to make this all about socialism. It's all just a rejection of socialism. Socialism did not play a single role in the Virginia election. Okay, it was about culture. It was about critical race theory. It was about transgender ideology in schools. It was. It's not even just about the government. It's about micros. I don't want my corporations pushing this crap and upending my traditions and my society and ripping America apart at the seams. And so if it's the government doing that, then let's go after the government. If it's corporations, I'm happy to go after the corporations too. And that's a big difference between the the impotent talking points of the Republican Party for the past 20 years and what's going on today. As you may or may not be aware, the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit against the federal government yesterday. Why? Because the Biden administration, the the anti-American Biden administration, ordered that large employers must require their employees to be vaccinated against the Wu flu or submit to regular testing. The Daily Wires lawsuit was filed by the Dillon Law Group and Alliance Defending Freedom in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The lawsuit alleges that the Biden administration lacks constitutional and statutory authority to issue the employer mandate and that the mandate failed to meet the requirements for issuing a rule taking effect immediately without The normal process of considering public comments. This mandate is unconstitutional. We are not standing for it here at the Daily Wire. Our employees deserve to keep their medical history private, have some control over their own bodies, and honor any of their religious beliefs. And there are plenty of reasons not to take this vaccine, moral and prudential. We stand with our employees' rights. Uh, We do do this also with the rights of every single American. The Biden administration has warned that any companies that do not comply but this federal overreach could be fined as much as $136,000 per violation, per violation. No company really can withstand this in the long run. This is why we need your help. If you are not a member yet, please consider joining us today. If you go to dailywire.com slash subscribe, enter code, do not comply at checkout. You'll receive 25% off your membership. You will be fighting this unconstitutional mandate with us. We appreciate your help and we will not comply. We'll be right back with the mailbag. Welcome back to my favorite time of the week, The Mailbag. First question up from Vincent. Michael, I have a situation in which I require some advice. I am in my college play, and I believe that the costume designer is a girl who says she is a boy. I have not confirmed this, but if this is the case, how should I talk about this person in their presence and in the rest of the cast's presence? Should I make my position known or should I stay silent so as to not alienate anyone? As the show is in a week, I appreciate any advice you give and thanks. Well, you know, you don't know. I mean, this this gets back to the old um, the old SNL gag about Pat. Some people are just sort of sexually ambiguous, and you don't. It's, like, it's Pat. That's like is Pat. Is Pat a boy or is Pat a girl? I don't know. And some people, so you, you don't you don't want to. Um, insult this person who you said it's a girl who's pretending to be a boy so you you don't want to be in a position where you make a big issue out of this and then someone's not even trying to make a an ideological point it's just a girl who seems kind of tomboyish or a boy who's kind of femmy you know <laughs> Or whatever you know, you don't want to do that. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy into the transgender ideology. The the good thing of going for you though is that when you are in someone else's presence and you're talking about that person, it's rude to use their pronouns. It's a, it's just generally rude. If you're standing next to Sheila from the office and you go, you know what she said to me the other day. You know what you know what this broad said to me. No, you would say Sheila made this good point, and so I think that's how you would get around it. I don't know. I assume this person has a sort of sexually ambiguous name as well you know Tyler or something Skyler I don't whatever um, you, you would probably just use use the name uh, if you're in if you're in a theater community the odds that there's some sexual confusion going around are about hundred fifty percent so uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if that's what's going on but there are ways to stand your ground and to not give in to gender ideology without without being, necessarily offensive, you know, without without going out of your way to do so. And in, in, this is actually the harder thing to do is just, is, you know, rather than showboating, let, I'll take your situation out of it for a second. Let's say you're talking about Bruce Jenner and uh, you're, you're talking to someone and someone refers to she, you know, she, Caitlyn Jenner. And you say, yeah, well, you know, what Bruce said was da 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 You can do it in a way that is quiet and subtle and confident and, and not saying, he is not a she, he's a he, and how dare you, you know, you can just kind of Hold your ground firmly, quietly, politely. That's that's what I would recommend doing. From Jim, I asked what the point in a high school relationship was a week ago. I might be getting into a high school relationship soon because of your answer. Oh, yeah, because I said I met my wife in high school. We split for college, which I think is now a statutory requirement for millennials. Wish we hadn't. Wish we'd gotten married sooner. Um, But yeah, I think high school relationships can be great. So, Jim goes on. Now I have to ask, what would I do in a high school relationship? I'm not very good in these types of things so I thought I would go to an expert. Thanks. <laughs> this is a family show, buddy. I don't you know, I don't know what you <laughs> what you want me to say. No, I I can I can tell you. When I was a youth, teenage boy into my early teens, I was I was an atheist. Okay. I did not adhere to Catholic teaching, theology of the body chastity, all the things that you are you really should be doing. And so I behaved in a way that I would not recommend, okay? I but, but I think you certainly can have a relationship as a teenager or in college or in high school or whatever that is a very serious relationship and remains chaste. Does this mean you can never hold the girl's hand? You can never kiss the girl? You can never go? No, it doesn't mean that. But it, it does mean that you ought to respect certain boundaries and uh, Our culture is really bad at that. And I think a lot of people, I hear this a lot from people like me who are reverts, you know, who lived like atheists for a long time and then reverted to the faith and they feel, or converted rather, also, they feel lied to. They feel like they were told, I mean, they were encouraged in high school and college that you need to sleep around and, and break every sort of social and sexual convention that existed even 50 years ago. And you need to just take things on, date a million people and, you know, swipe right and swipe right and swipe right. And you just have to do that. That's just what the culture is. And you don't, you don't actually, you don't, you also don't need to sit at home in your room and never speak to a girl, right? That would be the complete other side. But what you can do is recognize that men and women are made for each other. They're complementary. We think they're cute. You know, we're attracted to these other people. We can express that attraction. We can engage in that. Uh, while still respecting the other person and respecting ourselves. Moderation actually is a virtue, and chastity is too, but have a good time. From Andrew, hey, Michael, I hear you speaking about how the problem with marriage is how we allowed our society to have gay marriage and thus redefining what marriage is. Well, it's not the the problem. There are a lot of problems, but uh, sure, that's part of it. I agree with all this. However, I think marriage was ruined from making it a legal thing in the first place. It ruined its value it's part of our relationship with God, not people. Therefore, I believe marriage should be overseen by our religious institutions. And if a church or synagogue wants to approve a gay marriage or two, two random guys decide to say they're married, they can. Curious your thoughts on this. Thanks. Love your show and all that you do. I'm afraid, Andrew, I appreciate the compliment, but I'm afraid you are wrong about this. Uh, Marriage is an oath before God. That's true. Marriage is, is also an oath to this other person, your spouse. And marriage is also an oath before the public. It is a public act. It always has been. Because marriage is not merely a private institution, but a public institution. This is why divorce was not permitted in most places in the civilized West uh, for a very long time, until very, very recently, actually. You're making an oath you're signing a contract and it's not just an oath between two people who can consent to do whatever they want and if they decide to break the contract it's totally fine you're making a vow to society because marriage is the bedrock political institution the family is the bedro- it's an, the local community the township is not the the smallest political institution it's not the basic one the family is okay likewise if if two people decide to say that their relationship is a marriage They don't have the right to do that if the relationship is not a marriage. No more than I have the right to call my leftist-steer's tumbler a bicycle. Well, what's the big deal? Who's it hurting if you say that your leftist-steer's tumbler is a bicycle? Well, it's just not true. That's the problem. And we don't have the right to say things that are not true. (laughs) We have an obligation to pursue the truth, okay? And so, but I don't, you know, to to your point, I don't don't just blame the gays or something like that. The the institution of marriage has been weakened for many, many years. No-fault divorce was really the beginning of that, uh, at least in in modern times. And so my answer to that is not to weaken marriage further and read, just like Dr. Fauci did with gain of function research, redefine it into nothingness. My answer to that would be to more clearly define it. Say, no, marriage marriage does involve sexual difference. And two fellows who like each other and two women who like each other, that's fine. They can like each other. They can have a relationship but it it just is not marriage and you no no amount of you know messing around with the words is going to to change that and furthermore if you are married you can't just get out of it you can't just break it willy-nilly because you are fracturing you're hurting children to do that you're but you're also fracturing society and you're undermining our our trust in one another and our trust in oaths and and the, the very notion of a public oath itself to say nothing of your obligation to god so i would I would say yes, marriage is in a great state of disarray. The answer is not to make it even more subjective, make it even more personal, make it even more relative. The answer is to make it more objective and clearer. From Matthew. Good day, Mr. Knowles. Would you please explain the differences between the philosophies of Edmund Burke and John Locke? Thank you under the omnipotence. Uh, Matthew. Yes. Burke, broadly, is a conservative. Locke, broadly, is a big lib. That, that would be the difference. Uh, Edmund Burke it, it once said that John Locke's second treatise of government is uh, one of the worst books ever written. Okay, And I know a lot of American conservatives these days really like John Locke. It's kind of a, a more recent development that they're really into John Locke. But John Locke is the father of liberalism. Now, on that, I will say John Locke was way more based than people give him credit for. You know, he did say that we should ostracize atheists from society and things like that. So he was was pretty tough-minded too, but but his philosophy, I'm not not gonna be able to do justice to the the great conservative tradition and the great liberal tradition right now, but Locke's idea of society is just a bunch of contracts that therefore can be dissolved basically at one's whim uh, and caprice is ultimately a very liberal idea. The idea that we're, you know, the basic unit of society is the individual. That's a very liberal idea. Edmund Burke's idea, and don't forget, Edmund Burke was a defender of the American Revolution. So it's, it's not as though he were just, uh, he's completely unrelatable to the American experience. But Edmund Burke's idea is, uh, no, we are born not primarily with rights and entitlements, but with obligations, with oaths, with, with duties, with, with loyalty. And uh, that the bonds of society really cannot be broken willy-nilly. They ought not to be broken willy-nilly. That we ought to look to our great tradition and recognize we have an obligation to the people who came before us. And that there are higher things than just personal autonomy. Edmund Burke refers to that exalted freedom, which, uh, which can ennoble even servitude itself. You know, that that uh, generous loyalty to rank and sex. I could go on and on about him all day, but basically Burke was right. (laughs) Uh, Worth reading Locke, but if you're going to read just those two guys, Burke was was more correct. From Andrew. Hello, Michael. As a former New Yorker, do you believe that New York City will ever get back to being a city that is actually desirable to stay and raise a family in? It's too expensive. And with the election of Eric Adams, the, the Democrat, is there any hope of seeing a Giuliani type mayor return? Should I look into the right flight or stick around and hope for the best? P.S. The VAX mandate shut down 26 fire stations and thousands of cops are pending exemptions. They will probably get denied thanks to de Blasio. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, as you may know, and I did leave New York and I left New York originally for California. And, uh, and then Daily Wire, which was based in California, moved to Tennessee. And I'm very happy that I moved to Tennessee. And I like going back to visit New York, but I think New York right now is in the 1970s. Could there be a Giuliani type? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And I really love New York and I think that New York has a kind of it has a kind of base level conservatism that a lot of people who are not New Yorkers don't really get. It's got the conservatism of the Italian immigrants. It's got the conservatism of the cops and the firefighters. It's got the conservatism of just being an old place, you know, being a tough old place. So Yes, there could be some kind of semi-renewal, but really depends what you want to do. You know, if you if you want to, if your family's there and you want to stay near your family and, you know, stay, and you love the city and you just want to go to the places in the city and really just continue to build your life there, I think that's all well and good and just know you're going to have a tough time. If you want to build and grow a business, if you want to, you know, Uh, rally the troops, the the right-wing troops, and have an effect on national politics. If you want to do that sort of thing, I think you got to leave. It's really, it just depends on what you want. From Kenneth. Hey, Mike, if all the nominations for science awards are only for white guys, what does this mean when the left says to follow the science? They're actually saying, listen to the white guys. Seriously, just another white guy. As a slightly off-white guy, you know, taupe maybe, or beige, or whatever you'd call this sort of swarthy skin, I would agree. And I think they should follow me. I think it's a good idea. They should should do that. It's true. (laughs) But they're not, you know, but in fairness, the story you're referencing where the science award committee wouldn't give the award to people because they're white guys. The logical conclusion of that is that if a scientist is a white guy, then he's just not really a scientist. So you shouldn't follow him. If he shouldn't win an award, certainly you shouldn't follow him. From Samantha. Michael, I'm 21 years old. I've felt truly born again by the good book. I'm studying the Bible, coming closer to God. I felt in my heart I want, uh, that I want to be baptized. However, my husband does not share the same enthusiasm. He's 23 and active duty military. His relationship with the army has shaped his relationship with God. This has put us in a position where I'm waking up every Sunday and pleading with him to come with me. I have about a 50% success rate of getting him to come with me. What should I do to motivate him to try again with God? And should I wait on getting baptized until he supports me. Thanks. No, you should get baptized. Uh, you know, but it's a big change for him, probably. You know, I re- this has happened with me. You know, I've dated my wife uh, long before I was a practicing Christian. Um, so it can be jarring when people feel a call to faith. So I'll try to bring him along, ask him, you know, be, uh, show him the fruits of your faith. Certainly I would get baptized. Um at the very least. And 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 you know, recognize that things happen in God's good time. But one one word of caution here, I would not allow anyone to get between your relationship with God. Okay, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles, this is the Michael Knowles Show. See you Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021.
1: Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Klavan Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Klavan Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Klavan.